So as we film this, it is Saturday, June 6th, and we are in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which frankly is one of the most beautiful places that you can ever see. It is also today, you'll see the tent over here. It is the day of Dave Brunk, my brother's memorial. And so uh, an interesting day. In fact, let me show you something here. It, it is a gorgeous day right now. The sun is out, it's pretty, it's beautiful, it's perfect. Seems like it's perfect weather. But by the time this day is over, if the weather holds, which we're all praying it doesn't, but if it does, what's going to happen is, is that the sunshine at about three, it starts, the memorial starts at four, at about three o'clock, the sunshine's gonna give way to a violent rainstorm, followed and with a huge thunderstorm, and in fact, a bunch of lightning. And we're talking yesterday, I bet they were probably 60 to 100 lightning strikes, and they weren't way off somewhere. It is, you see the light and you hear the crack at the same time because it's just bouncing and striking right here all over the place. But then that lightning is gonna, and that rain and that thunderstorm is gonna give way to an absolutely gorgeous evening full of sunshine and the Tetons will totally disappear in clouds and totally reappear and the whole nine yards. And that is the most likely scenario of how this day will go. And frankly, if Dave were here, he would love every minute of that. Dave was never a guy that wanted life just to go smoothly. I mean, everybody wants that, but Dave was the guy that was out there on the cutting edge knowing that it doesn't do that. And in fact, that's the setup for what we're doing here today because what we want in our Christian walk is to start with this sort of, you know, I got saved and everything is wonderful. It's sunshiny, it's beautiful, it's incredible. And it's just gonna be happily ever after from here on out. And then of course, you know, God who loves us, God who knows things, God who's doing things, God who, who wants to mature us, who wants to grow us, who wants to take us places. He will do so with many good things, many miracles, many blessings throughout our lives. But there are also going to be, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death times. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And the idea is, is that God is not going to give us more than we can bear. But he is, in fact, going to give us things that are going to make us deeper, make us richer, make us greater. Now, this is what Serenity is going to talk about today. She's going to talk about, as we have been for these last few weeks, she's going to talk about when things don't work out, what the heck is going on? When things get tough, what's happening? And I want to say, I really want to encourage you, be here next week, because the Lord has laid a sermon on my heart. It's not a sermon at all. It's a word. I believe it to be a word. I've been asking people all over the place, is this true? Is it just me? Is it just circumstances and so on? And God is saying, no, give this word. So I'm really looking forward to it. But I got to tell you, I am really looking forward to what Serenity says today. I've heard it. It is amazing. It's a journey that God took her on and has shown her what he does in these times, which frankly is just incredible. I mean, when you start seeing that God is doing something deeper and richer, when you start seeing that God is always in control, and that even when things don't, don't make any sense, that God is doing amazing things. Well, it just changes the experience of the thing now, doesn't it? So that's what we're gonna be looking at today. Serenity, uh, she's preached here several times now, so I think most of you already know her, but let me just say what a blessing this woman is from the work that she did for Dave 
and his ministry in Minsk, where she is still, even right now, working on getting yet another grant that is going to make an amazing difference to the ministry that hopefully is going to be ongoing from Dave. But from, from that to the things that she does at the church, she just brings such an intelligence and such a beauty about how to live with God, how to understand Him, and how to move in Him. So I just cannot wait to hear the sermon yet again. Uh, I just can't wait for you to experience it. Would you please give a huge Lake Sam welcome to Serenity Dillaway. And then I tripped, so I'm hum humble again. Um, <laughs> so I've preached here a couple times, um, and he gave me an introduction of me. I'm just going to kind of tell you a little bit about my life for those of you who might not know me. Very short. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have three kids, uh, five and two two-year-olds. Um, as he mentioned, I am a fundraiser. Uh, I write grants, and so I used to work for the ballet. And he referenced, I used to write some for Dave just for fun, because Dave was so fun to work with. Um, but now I mostly just try to keep my head above water and occasionally get to do really fun things like talk to you guys about what God's doing in my life. So today I'm going to start by making you guys a deal. I am going to give you a shorter than normal Lake Sam sermon. Shorter than normal Lake Sam, not short. <laughs> um, but in exchange, I'm going to talk about economics first. So you have to sit through the next three minutes of economic theory, and I promise you it does have something to do with God, so bear with me. So the first concept I'm going to talk about today is scarcity, and I'm going to talk about it in economic terms. Um, and in the, uh, Webster's Dictionary, or the, set on, there, beautiful. Scarcity is defined as the problem of unlimited human wants in a world of limited resources. And obviously, when an economist is talking about this, they're talking about actual stuff, right? Money or goods or commodities or whatever. When I read it, though, I thought that this is kind of the problem with Earth. <laughs> if you take it a little more metaphorically, um, unlimited human wants for power or success or love or recognition or stuff, right? Fear of provision. Um, we have unlimited human wants in a world of limited resources because we were created to love an unlimited God, right? There are two basic kinds of scarcity. Again, back to economics. Actual scarcity is kind of what we probably all think of. There's a limited number of actual things, and if I give you what I have, I have one less of that, right? Uh, I have two cows, I give you a cow, I now no longer have that other cow. There's a second type of scarcity, which I want to talk more about, called artificial scarcity, which is something that's unlimited by nature. If I give it to you, we both have it. Uh, the example that's often given is software. Uh, so, right, I have coded this piece of software. I have not, because I don't know how to code, but someone has coded this piece of software. Um, they can give it to everyone in the entire world and still have that software, right? You know, at most the cost of whatever the electricity it takes to send it to you. And society limits how these things are shared through laws. Uh, those of us who went to college in the early 2000s, uh, had experience with Napster and music sharing, illegal music sharing. Um, and, right, it didn't actually cost anything for me to send you my song, but we made it illegal as a society because we want to uh, give compensation to the artists and, and, you know, technicians who have made those, done that work, right? 
The interesting thing about artificial scarcity, though, is that in certain situations it makes total sense. But in other situations, artificial scarcity brings some ethical questions. Because if I have something that you desperately need, I do deserve to get paid for it, but if you're going to die without it, well then we've sort of reached a point where we need to be talking about that. And the best example I could find actually happened before we had a whole lot of patent laws. It happened in the 1630s, which is way back. But for those of you who know anything about childbirth, this is a forceps, which was a huge invention in the 1630s because basically what it does, for those of you who don't know, is when a mother's having trouble getting a baby out, they can use this device, which is very simple design, to pull the baby out. Now these days that doesn't seem like much, but when it was made, um, how many years ago was that? 400 years ago? It was a major life-saving medical intervention. It saved mothers' lives, it saved babies' lives, and it, it allowed those mothers to continue mothering their probably many children already. But the family who made it, and rightfully so, you know, they wanted to, to earn income from their design, they kept the design of the seemingly simple device for 150 years, they kept it secret. And the way they did this, the way they created that artificial scarcity, was when a mother was having a baby and the baby got stuck, they would kick everyone out of the room, they would blindfold the mother, they would use, bring the forceps in in a box, open it, get the baby out, put the forceps back in a box, unblindfold the mother and let everyone come back in. For 150 years they did this, which is a little extreme, I think. <laughs> but it also brought some very strong ethical questions. There were thousands of babies and mothers who died because they didn't have access to this particular family of doctors who owned this device. And we need to be asking ourselves those questions. Whichever answer we come to, there's something in us, I think, that rises up and feels like that's just a little unfair. I think we sometimes feel the same way about God. Because for God, it's all artificial scarcity. He is completely capable of doing whatever he wants. So when God doesn't give us what we think we need or what we do actually need, right? It's life and death. Something in us rises up and says, God, I have faith in you. You could do anything. Why are you limiting yourself in the face of this need? That's the question I want to answer today. Just if everything is unlimited for God, why does he limit himself? And so I'm going to attempt to answer that over the next 20 or so minutes. Uh, but first, I want to ask Andrew Huskamp to pray for us. Pray for the sermon and lift up another church. So Lord, I just pray that you will be with us today. Lord, um, that you will just give us your words and that um, as we're really wrestling with the question that we often ask, that you will be speaking to each of our lives in the way that you are working in our individual hearts, Lord, and collectively as a whole. And I just pray that you'll be with Shepherd of the Valley and Sydney, God, that you'll just bless them and their ministry and just let them also wrestle through this question as a church that they're asking themselves. Amen. Thank you. So when we ask why God limits himself, I think we first need to look at how we as humans react to not having enough, to the idea that there's something we want and there isn't enough of it to go around. Some of you may know what this is. Um, 
This is a thing in the 1990s. Um, this is Tickle Me Elmo, for those of you too young. Um, he was a doll that like laughed when you tickled him. Uh, that was pretty much all <laughs> he did. Uh, but I guess in October of 1996, he came out and some talk show hosts or someone said like, this is a really cool doll for Christmas. And people went crazy. They just went nuts. When I was looking up the history of it, one store worker had broken ribs and a concussion because people trampled him. One man flew to London to get one for his daughter. One man paid over $7,000 for Tickle Me Elmo. I think this dog, doll retails for like 20 bucks maybe. So people go crazy when they feel like there's not enough of something. And we've studied this in psychology and we know that when people perceive scarcity, they want something more, they value it more, meaning they're willing to pay more for it, and they focus on it more. They literally cannot think about anything except for the thing they can't have. And I think if you ask yourself in your own life, I've certainly experienced this before, namely about like chocolate or something. I can't have it, I can't stop thinking about it, right? God knows this about us. He knows what we are like. This is our human nature. And he addresses it to help us overcome it. In Luke chapter 12, he says, Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? God knows our nature. He knows what we're like. And as a loving father, he tries to reassure us. But I think he also sometimes uses that, that human nature, to get our attention. He uses it so that we start to look at him and start asking questions when maybe we haven't been doing that before. And there are certain times that God gives, even gives us a situation that is so far out of our control that we can't blame ourselves or the circumstances when all we can do is stand in honesty before God and say, what are you doing here? What are you trying to teach me? I'm going to give a quick recap of Job because he's sort of the perfect example for this. Um, and it's going to be very quick. And I also, I'm, I'm going to skip through like most of Job, through the middle parts, because I just want to give you the story. So just bear with me if you really love that book. It's going to be very short. Um, so Job was a rich man. He was incredibly wealthy. He had a big family. Um, and he was a very righteous man. Uh, God himself even says, the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. God himself said that he's a man of complete integrity. So he is. We know he is. And Satan asked God if he could test him. And God said, okay. And so Satan does test him, and he takes away his livestock. They're stolen. His children are killed in a natural disaster. And then in a second test, uh, Job uh, is, is ill. He's, he has boils from head to toe, painful boils. To the point where he asks God, he curses the day he was born. He just, he wishes he were dead. Um, I've never had that happen, but I can imagine why you would react that way. Um, and through this process, Job's friends come and try to convince him that Job did something wrong, right? God would never do this to someone who hadn't done something wrong. So just tell us what you did wrong, and then it'll all be over, right? Job rebukes them. He says, no, 
I did not. I did not cause this. And in the end, God does too. In Job 42.7, he says, Job was right. Job knew what was going on. Job does eventually admit that he didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't have a right understanding of who God was either. And eventually, after chapters and chapters and chapters of debating and Job uh, stressing his righteousness, um, God comes and asks some very serious questions of Job. And I'll get more into that later, so just put a bookmark there. It's coming in just a few minutes. But I'm going to, for the rest of today, I'm going to use the word Job moment to describe that thing, right? When something that is a loss happens so definitively not from our own failure, right? I'm going to call that a Job moment because Job did not cause those things. And occasionally in our lives, we have something where there's really, it's so out of our control that it could not have been us, right? That happens. And when that happens, the only thing we can do, and hopefully we do it sooner rather than later, but the only thing we can do is look at God and honestly ask him questions. What are you doing here? I'm going to tell my own Job moment story. And um, as you can imagine, it's not a great one. <laughs> so I just ask, uh, you guys are my family, right? So just deal with the story with the preciousness that it deserves. Okay, so um, about six months ago, uh, my husband and I felt like God was affirming our desire for a fourth child. We felt like God was really saying, yeah, you know. It's funny, uh, a fourth child is really optional, right, you know? Like, you know, that's not normal. You don't, you know, people don't ask you if you're going to have a fourth, you know? Um, so when God said yes, we thought, okay, yeah, this is awesome. And then I got pregnant right away. It was amazing, right? God really wants me to have this baby. I'm so excited. And we were um, at our 10-week appointment, which was the first one we went to, and um, we were joking on the way. We found out we were having twins halfway through the pregnancy, which is really late. And so we were joking at this really early appointment, like, oh, we'll find out if we're having twins today. And, like, life is going to be crazy again, you know? We were just joking around. And we go in, and we find out at our 10-week appointment that we have a six-week baby, which is a problem. Because that means that four weeks ago, something happened. And so from there, we had to take a week and make some really hard decisions. We sought counsel. We prayed. We called Kurt. We, you know, we did everything we were supposed to do. And through that week, I got peace from God that he was in control, you know, that I wasn't being faithless, that I wasn't supposed to fast and pray for a week straight, that, you know, I really had the peace of God on me. Um... And so I went back the next week, and, and they checked to see if there's more growth. Maybe I just, you know, we'd been mistaken on the dates. And we weren't. There was no growth. Um, and so that was that. The next few weeks were physically really painful and emotionally really hard. Um, and spiritually, which is kind of the point of today, I spent a lot of time asking God questions. Not angry questions, just, I mean, I was too tired to be angry, honestly. Um, most of the questions in my Job moment came down to, God, why didn't you fix this? It seemed like such a small thing. Just start that, just let me have been wrong in my, you know, let them, you know, let the ultrasound have been broken or something. I don't know. But God didn't fix it. And so I was there thinking that this was a baby blessed by God. 
and I didn't have that baby anymore. So I spent the last three months asking some really hard questions of God. And God, in his kindness and goodness, has helped me see what he's been doing, which has been really helpful. Because it's hardest when he's doing something in you and you don't even see it, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about what he's been teaching me in the hopes that if you're going through a Job moment right now or will in the future, that maybe some of this will resonate with you and God can just bring it to your mind and say, this is what I'm doing in you. It's not for nothing. The first thing that God taught me was that he was building my faith and a right understanding of who he was. My life, your life, is not circumstance or luck or purely the result of your hard work. And I think we forget that sometimes. Every good thing we have is a blessing from God. Every good thing. If your life is terrible, you can go outside and see the beautiful nature, and that is from God, and it's a blessing for you. On the other side of that, we need to have a right understanding of who exactly God is. He is not my waitress. I do not get to tell him what I want and when I want it and send it back if it's not right. Job says this. So God comes to Job and basically tells him this. Who do you think you are to question me? And at the end of this, chapters long, chapters long, God's saying, were you there at the beginning of time? Were you? Tell me how big the universe is. This is what Job says. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I love those last two lines that is exactly how I felt. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Have you ever been there where God shows you something? And you're like, I'm just going to sit in the dirt for a while and like think about this, because like I can't even get up right now. Yeah, you're, you're different than I thought, and better, and a lot bigger. We need to have a right understanding of who God is. A second thing that God taught me was that sometimes he uses these things to redirect our energy. We have, we have these apple trees in our backyard. And um, they were really overgrown. They came with our house. And they were beautiful apple trees. I love them. My girls used to, like, the, the branches hung down, and they used to pretend they were playhouses, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But the apples they made were terrible. I could not even use them for applesauce. They were, I mean, like this big, and you'd have to cut half of the wormy parts off. And so we had a tree company come in and cut down, you know, trim them. And I was gone for the day, and I came home, and they had mutilated these trees. I was really angry. I mean, they made these trees that were these beautiful things. They just cut them all down, so it was like this big. And I was really angry until I talked to my friends. Some friends of mine are master gardeners. And they said, yeah. Those other branches, those beautiful branches you love so much, were stealing energy away from the apples. The energy from the tree was going into the branches, 
and the apples you got were terrible. God says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. We want to be the kind he prunes, right? And when that's happening, it feels like God is taking away something from us. It feels like God is cutting something off of us. And really, he's cutting off places where we're wasting our energy, where he doesn't want us to be moving, because the better fruit is a different branch. We need to start seeing God as a gardener who sometimes has to do hard things to help us be better. I'm not sure in this current situation, in my current Job moment, exactly God, what God was redirecting my energy into. I wish I could tell you, but I don't think it's been that long. I can tell you this, a lot of my friends have undergone major losses in the last three months, and I've had time and energy to give to them that I would not have had. I've been able to be a true friend. My girls, my twins, have been going through a, a very real developmental stage where they needed me to be involved in disciplining them and bringing them up right, and I had the time and energy to do it. Maybe that will grow fruit. I don't know yet. I'm still seeking God. But I know that he's doing something, right? He didn't just cut those branches off for nothing. A third thing he's doing, sometimes, when we have a Job moment, is he's trying to get, us, get our attention and give us time to listen to him. We get so busy with our plans. And we even get busy with our plans for God, right? To the point where it sometimes feels selfish to stop doing them, to listen to God. And I'm not just talking about, you know, yeah, you do your 20-minute devotionals and you take your rest day. But sometimes God wants you to take an afternoon and be slightly res responsible and slightly more responsive. And sometimes God needs to get our attention, to give us space, to make space where we wouldn't have, where we couldn't have. For my own story, I spent a lot of time after my miscarriage seeing God move. And honestly, I don't know if it was from God or my own brain, but telling myself, what the heck else am I doing? Right? I see a need. I'm not doing anything else right now. God has made space in my life. I might as well step into it. And the last one, which is kind of on that same vein, is immunizing us against fear. God sees the places where we say we trust him, but we've got a fallback plan. And let's be honest, we're our fallback plan. <laughs> and he lets our fallback fail because we weren't really trusting him. The hardest place to trust him is where we feel before because we kind of think he failed us. But if we can honestly and sincerely walk through that with God, not get angry at him or move through that in all honesty with him. We have real trust in God. And not only that, but our blinders are off. We know the consequences of failure now. I've been in situations where um, I thought, like, oh, if this goes bad, it won't go that bad, you know? And then it goes bad, and it goes really, really bad. And trusting God there, like, that's a real trust, right? Like, I know how bad it can be. And I really have to step out in faith in a way I never did before. God is immunizing us against fear so that we can step out again and trust him fully, even in the reality of the situation.
So that's what God has taught me. But I think there's something broader going on than just me and my Job moment. I've seen Job moments all over the place, and I think since going through this, I've had more of a heart for them. I've seen them in people in the church. Um, I've seen them in my friends, and I've seen them in the broader world. And my heart breaks more than it ever did before when I hear about an earthquake or a child dying for no reason or a drought in a place where they desperately need water. God is doing something bigger. And I think he's trying to get our attention. I don't know exactly what for, though. I will be honest with you today. I, I think I have one piece of it, and I think Kurt might have the other piece. <laughs> um, one thing that I think God is really saying, he's trying to show us the bounty of his comfort and healing. On Friday nights, my family goes to a farmer's market. We live kind of near Kirkland, so we go down to Juanita Beach, and the girls swim, and we get dinner, and we just sort of have a picnic. And this was the first week, two days ago, and so we went. Um, and it, we're finally at the stage where, like, that's really fun. It's not just really hard. Um, <laughs> and so we're sitting there, my husband and I, just, and the girls are playing around, and we're, we're just hanging out. And I felt okay. I felt happy. I felt content, whole, shalom. I felt shalom. And there will always be a loss inside of me, but two months ago, I would have told you I will never feel this way again. Not ever. I remember reading that verse in 2 Corinthians, you know, pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And I remember with all the emotion inside of me saying to God, I am crushed. I am abandoned. I am destroyed. I don't know what these people are talking about. And can I tell you something? Today, Friday, I am pressed but not crushed. I am persecuted, not abandoned. I am struck down but not destroyed. And that is not me. That is not who I am. That is God. So while he may limit himself to teach us something, to help us grow, to move us in different directions. He does not limit his comfort. He does not limit that bounty. I wrote down three words to describe it when I was praying, and I'm just going to read them right off because I don't want to get it wrong, but his comfort is without limit. It is overflowing, and it is extraordinary in the strongest sense of that word. It is so far beyond the ordinary that we can't even conceive of it. So I think that's part of what God is trying to teach all of us in a broader sense, you know. That's some of the reason that all this is going on. To show us the bounty of his comfort. But I think there's more. And I think that we, as a body, need to be pressing into God and asking him these hard questions. In all honesty, you know, sincerely, don't, don't be a jerk about it. <laughs> You know, like, God, what is happening here? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach us? So I'm going to ask you guys, all of you, to take the next three minutes to sit in prayer. And if you're going through a hard time, I highly encourage you to ask God some hard questions. I promise you, he can handle it. He can handle it.
And if you're not going through a hard time, could you pray for the church body and see what God is trying to teach us? Because it's not just me. You know, I hear whispers of these stories. I'll tell you him. I'll tell you. Um, there's something bigger happening here. So now I'm going to ask Pam to come up. There you go. Um, and play. And I really want to end the sermon on this note. So I'm going to give a, you guys a couple minutes just to pray and press in. And then I'm going to close in prayer. And I want us to leave. I don't want to tell you what to do. But I want us to leave in an attitude of expectation. God is doing something. He wants us to be asking questions. He's trying to get our attention. If I've learned nothing else from this experience, it's that God wants us to engage with him first on every situation. So if we could just leave looking for God, that's, that's my one vision for today. So yeah, just take three minutes and here are the questions. What is God trying to teach you as an individual and what does he want to say to us as a body? We just come before you today asking you to show us what you want to show us. Lord, we are interested. We are here. We are open to hearing your voice. Lord, some of us are hurting. We ask that you would give us our comfort, your comfort, Lord. But most of all, we would let these situations not be in vain. Do not let them come to nothing. Lord, we ask that you would use it to build our body, Lord, to make us more fruitful, to help us go down the ways you have chosen for us. And most of all, Lord, we ask that you would just come alongside us through every moment, Lord. In your holy name.